40 today's show, Jack Campbell waved. Calvin Pickard recalled. Is that it? Is this still Mr. Holland's opus? That and more on the way. Sports1440.ca, iHeartRadio, Radio Player Canada. Text or call us 1-833-401-1440. And on Twitter at Low Tide and Declan Kruger. The Lowdown is driven by Wolf GMC Buick. New name, same great team. Find them on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. WolfGMCBuick.com. Our guest today, Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Bring much needed wisdom to the conversation. We need a little bit of reason. And that's why McCurdy's here. A lot of reason from Rob Vanstone, legendary sports writer. He owns Regina, big time writer, and uh, actually works for the Rough Riders now. Historian and uh, chief writer for them. Uh, he's got a new book out called Brave Face. It's about hockey goalies in the era before masks. Very interesting. You know, Terry Sawchuk, Glenn Hall. The forward is by Glenn Chico Resch. So we'll talk to him about that later on this morning or this afternoon. Um, Declan. Yes, sorry, I was I was a little slow there, but I thought you were maybe going to follow it up with the question first. But yes, I'm here. How are you? Well, I, I wanted to make sure you were paying attention because this is very important. I, I don't know anything's going to happen today on the waiver wire or whatever. But if it were going to happen... You want me to give you the heads up? Please do. The lowdown about what's happening. Right. Absolutely. I can do that. Because... Uh, my feeling is that we're going to get, you know, at least the news on um, Calvin Pickard. Yes. But maybe more. There was a trade today in the NHL. Kalen Addison went uh, for Adam Raska and a fifth-round pick in the 2026 draft. So Addison is now in San Jose, and Adam Raska is now in Minnesota, or at least has been traded to the Minnesota organization. We'll keep you updated throughout the afternoon on the way to the Jason Krager Show at 2 o'clock today. So the question I have today that I'd like to discuss, and you can definitely text us anytime you want. We're all over the text machine at one 401 Is Ken Holland still in charge? I'll tell you why I wonder. Because what I know about NHL general managers or general managers in any sport is when they sign a guy or trade for a guy or draft a guy, He's like a made man. You know, like when you're watching Goodfellas and The Godfather, some guys are made men, some guys aren't necessarily. And, you know, in order to whack a made man, it's got to be, you know, there's a lot there. So Ken Holland signed Jack Campbell, and it's a contract that hasn't worked in the year plus that it's been in force. It's a five-year deal. And there have been cries almost from the beginning to make a move on the Campbell contract, and Ken Holland has not. Why? He signed him. And you want to give enough rope and more than enough rope if you're the general manager because GMs don't like admitting mistakes, and I don't blame them. Nobody does. Campbell was a mistake, and it's not going well. He was waived, and I think that this might be. I'm just saying this. I don't know for sure. I have no information. I think you could make a case that this is Jeff Jackson and Paul Coffey stepping in for the first time, really. I mean, I know they have their own, you know, they brought in their own director of uh, amateur scouting. I know that, you know, there's been a few tweaks here and there in the scouting department. But this, this is this is something I did not see Ken Holland doing. And you can say, well, he was so desperate. But, you know, this this doesn't, this isn't really such a big move. You know, Calvin Pickard, maybe he plays better, but what are you expecting from Calvin Pickard? 900? 
And if he gets really hot, maybe 9-10. You know, I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to go with Stuart Skinner. I think he's their guy. And Pickard will be the backup and play once in a while. And they'll see if they can get Jack Campbell back on board. I, I, the, the expectation I would have is if Campbell plays well in the minors, he could be back soon. We'll see. Ken Holland is loyal to his troops. We know this through his entire career, which, I mean, it began in the late 1970s. It, this is like a 26, 25-year career that he's had at the top of an NHL team. You can poo-poo all you want, but Ken Holland has had success, won Stanley's, uh, was moving the ball forward or the puck forward, I guess, in Edmonton up until this year. You could make a case that his team was getting closer to winning the Stanley Cup. This is different, and I think that that this might be the moment where the rope snapped and Ken Holland is no longer the de facto general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. If you're looking for the genesis of what happened, if that is the case, I'd go back to last year when the Oilers had lots of injuries and no moves were made. They were de- they really did need help, as they do now. And Ken Holland kept his powder dry, eventually getting Matthias Ekholm at the deadline, and my goodness, what a great move that was. But here we are, and I do think that you could make the case that Paul Coffey, Jeff Jackson are taking over more of the decision-making. Sort of like what's happening on this show with Declan and me, where I'm the Holland, uh, and slowly but surely, I, I don't get invited to all the high-end staff meetings, the, you know, the, the logo doesn't look like it used to. There's just small changes happening that I'm not aware of. And I can get my nose out of joint and, you know, raise a ruckus, or I can just wait until... You know my my key doesn't work to get in the door. That's, I'm glad I'm glad you're aware of it now because it was going to be a it was going to be a tough few weeks from now. Yeah, if you well, if you didn't get ahead of it, so props I just, to you. I'm for so happy that I'm uh, self aware. Taking that one on the chin. Yeah, yeah, no, no, me too, me too. It's yeah. going to make the transition a lot easier. Well, I mean, in there, you know, you can't stop progress. We know that. Uh, next general manager, uh, Jeff Jackson might be the guy. Paul Coffey might be the guy. Keith Gretzky is still around. Brad Holland is here, and Brad Holland. I think it was. Daniel Nugent Bowman yesterday mentioned the fact that he's steeped in analytics. Uh, Michael Parcati was been you know signed hired recently to head the the uh, analytics department. You'd like to have a general manager who is open to new ideas, I think, and maybe that's the direction they're going with Brad Holland. We'll see. It's something else. On the ice, the first order of business is getting Stuart Skinner straightened away. I believe that. Now, how do you do that? Well, if you play defense better, uh, that would help. And I think that they have to get the offense going because as much as we talk, wow, they, they, they're, not, they're, they're not scoring goals. The, this, these are not your Edmonton Oilers from a year ago. And the power play is successful, but it, it's given all back on the penalty kill. And the save percentage is in the dirt, but so is the shooting percentage. This is a team disaster. And I, th- I think that I think the Otis could do some things. They could, they could rest Vincent DeHarnay. He's playing a lot and he's not playing well. Evan Bouchard is not playing well. You could move him down to the third pair, and I'd bring back Bober- Broberg and play him with Ekholm. They they were going to try that, and and it really never worked out. Now might be the time. It feels like Ekholm might be improving a little bit. You have Nurse CC. I know they're not perfect, but they're your top pair. Try Ekholm with Broberg and maybe Bouchard with Kulak and run with that. 
Do you have something? Were you waving at me for any reason at all? <laughs> no, there was someone behind you who was waving into the studio, so I was giving him a wave and just saying, hey, what's up? Do you understand why that would be confusing for me? Absolutely, but I mean, no. so often you give me grief for not acknowledging the people okay, who are here I'm, waving. I'm talking away, and you do this... this manic wave it was it was pretty yeah it was pretty animated i give you that credit but no it was not directed at you i didn't mean to, to break you off your flow i was just saying hi no no that's hi. fine i'm glad you did that i well it doesn't sound fine but uh, i mean you. maybe you could st- stand up go over to there and wave it directly at the guy other than that you did fine i mean if that's what it's going to take if that's what if that's going to help out i'll do it it sounds like it's a little much on my part but <laughs> for the good of the show i get it uh dear well don't worry soon you'll be in this spot and you can tell you know what to do uh this comes from bob Oilers practice today well there's some changes nurse cc Ekholm bouchard kulak derherne not there skinner and net the the lines are mcdavid with mcleod and hyman dry with holloway and fogel nuge with kane and gagne and hamblin with lavoie and ryan uh, yeah. Well, I like it. I'm sorry, but I do. I like the centers being, the spine is strong. You're asking McLeod and Holloway to step into feature roles. There's a lot about this to like. Giddy up. I'm pleased. This shows that, that there's a, there's a, an acknowledgement that they have got to do something. By the way, a DNB reports that, uh, Actually, Chris Johnston reports that Jack Campbell and Ryden Hunt have cleared waivers. Shocking. And the Kalen Addison trade we talked about a little earlier. See that Jonathan Huberto was uh, benched? Yes. The entire third period, was it? Yeah. That is incredible. Eight years at ten and a half million, and he's sitting on the end of the bench there with his head down in the yeah. third period of, of games. Now they did win the game, so Well, and they're you know, Calgary's starting to get it together, so and that they're they're ahead of the Oilers, and the Oilers have to catch everybody but San Jose. Yeah. And it's it's not on the back there, ten and a half million dollar man, which is incredible. I don't know how much re- regret is gonna come into that contract. I don't know how much regret is gonna seep into Jonathan Huberto's mind for signing long term there, but it's it's not a good time to be Jonathan Huberto, and it's not a good time to be a Jonathan Huberto or a Calgary Flames fan, quite frankly. Yeah, it's you know, the Oilers have boxed themselves in probably as bad as anybody. Because like they're 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 stuck. They're stuck. They're a stuck truck. What's that song? Stuck truck. That's a new song to me, but it sounds like something you would dig uh, up. So I'll truck. go with it. Stuck okay. truck. That's a song called. I keep saying that like it's going to magically come to me. So you weren't even asking. You were just telling me what the well, song. Well, I knew called. the stuck truck song. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And apparently it's by Dora the you. Explorer, but I don't think it is. Because <laughs> I mean, Dora the Explorer, fine, but I don't know. I don't know Dora the Explorer's music. So let's say, you know, you end up not signing Leon and not signing Connor McDavid, and you can't sign a big free agent to replace them. Zach Hyman's contract goes till 2028. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, long, long contract. Darnell Nurse, long, long contract. Owners have sort of got themselves in a situation where they're – there's a likelihood by the end of this decade that they're paying players who are not close to being optimal in terms of quality, big money, and trying to rebuild. And that's no fun at all. And I think that's reasonable. I think that 
Nuge might end up being like Horkoff at the end of his career here in Edmonton, where he's playing a, a punishing role and people are all mad at him, which will be a real shame because I'm a big fan of the Nuge. But it all comes down to signing Leon and signing McDavid, and that's what they want to do now. Corblund, thank you. Truck got stuck, Corblund. I have a cowboy hat signed by him, funny enough. You're a lucky man. Yeah, it's a great hat. Do you know about Corblund? I mean, a little bit. He's Albertan. Okay, what else? He has a he has a heck of a signature on his cowboy hats. Um, oh, you know what? Hold on, let me drop this one on you. I'm gonna shine up my boots. Oh, I'm nice. gonna go. There we go. Nice. That's all you need to know. He was in a band called the Smalls. And he's from Tabor, Alberta, where the corn comes from. Eleven albums, three of them gold. He's a reasonable fella. Lives in Lethbridge. Do you know how windy it is in Lethbridge? Oh, yeah. I went to school there for a year. No. It was incredibly windy. I, I heard that they, they have different metrics to measure the wind there because it's so windy compared to the rest of the province. And I can vouch for that. No. Like, I would drive my car and it would be blowing around. It's incredible. Chicago, The Chicago of the North is what they call it. <laughs> Do they really? That's what I called it. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. You did, called it that. Did you see Doran Luding or Doran Ludding? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I apologize. He practiced today as the e-bug and he plays for the UBC Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. And no, I was just. I saw. I saw. <laughs> the, okay, you went up with your voice. You went. He practiced the other day with this morning with the UBC Thunderbirds. Well, I'm just a little then, curious. So, so he's that, not going to travel when you with the go team. Do up I, on the end of a sentence like that. One assumes that there's going to be, and then he he shot the puck and it well, hit a, a fan in the stands, but it might be a media member, and the players were <laughs> laughing, so I think it was a media member. No, That's the end of the sentence. See, I thought you were going to take over and explain to me why he was practicing as the e-bug, because as far, he's not going to be traveling with the team to San Jose, as far as I, as far as I knew. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, here's a key. Bakersfield, I think, is playing in Abbotsford. Okay. So Campbell will be going to Bakersfield's yes. practice. Okay, he will be. He's not going to fly into San Jose and go from San Jose to Bakersfield. No reason to, because they're okay. not playing in Bakersfield. Okay. They're playing, I believe, in Abbotsford. Let me just check, okay? Um, sing a, hum a few bars of something, and I will check on this. Uh, we do sing. have a great show today. We got Rob Vanstone coming up to talk about uh, his book. All I all I can see now is Terry Sawchuk, because he's on the cover, and I'm a big Terry Sawchuk fan. Um, and then, yeah, they play Thursday in Abbotsford. So that's what he's doing. Campbell will be down the road in uh, Abbotsford, which is really Vancouver, but you know how these things work. Play in a different rink, practice in a different rink. Truck got stock, Corblund, save it for trying Tuesday. We Maybe we will do that. And anyway, we got Vanstone, we got McCurdy. We got your comments. They're coming in. Nice shout out to the Smalls, LT. Any Western Canadian loves rock music and came of age in the mid-90s. Loved the Smalls. They were based out of Edmonton, too. There you go. I know my stuff. Hey, I bought Pointed Sticks records. I bought Payolas before they were famous. I was very sad when Ron Tabak died. I don't know. I got nothing else. I'm a big Guess Who fan. Anything out of Winnipeg I love. Are you a Sheepdogs fan? Yeah, I don't mind the Sheepdogs, but I remember one time my 
I had a teacher in junior high who confused. Oh, no. Oh, my no, no, no. Hold on. I'm, oh, I'm going to keep this quick. Take I'm going to keep me this now, quick. Jesus. He confused the who with the guess who, and he keep trying. He kept trying to tell me the who was a Canadian band. <laughs> I was like, no, they're not. Like they're British. Like what you're thinking of the guess who? And it was like the thing. He was like, no, you're just a kid. You don't know. And I was like, no, you're wrong. But I couldn't. I couldn't relay the message to him. He just did not believe me. The legend it was, was so frustrating. The legend was that they had um, it was Johnny something in the Pirates or something. That was the name of the guess who, and they had Shaken All Over, which is end up and being a pretty big hit for them, and. The record label said, oh, we don't want to call it that. We'll just we'll put guess who on it with a question mark, and you'll have to guess who it is. And that's how they became the guess who. I don't know if that's true, but I love telling stories like that, so I will. Rob Vanstone on the way. We've got a big rumor. Jeff Merrick, not a rumor, but Jeff Merrick had some, some thoughts. He had a thought bubble, and he said it, and we're going to talk about it on a rumor segment at 1240 today. We're so happy you're here. We are very organized. We're delighted. We will tell you that your downloads are making us happy. Lots of people are tuning in. Lots of people are listening to us on the podcast. We feel growth. We feel momentum. We feel alive and, uh, you know, other things. All right. Rob Vanstone next. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. We're driven by Wolf GMC Buick. New name. Same great team. Find them on the corner of 184th Street. And Stony Plain Road, WolfGMCBuick.com. Say hi to Doug and Mary. Well, it's 1222, so we're probably making him late for his reservation at Gulf Steakhouse, but we are delighted to be joined right now. Uh, and and with good reason, I think, because we're going to have a great conversation about a book that Rob Vanstone wrote, Rough Rider senior journalist and historian. Brave face. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, sir. Are, are, you, is, are there people waiting for you for lunch, or are you just having a late lunch? My my dog is waiting for me to feed her half of my lunch. That's the only, uh, <laughs> only crisis I'm dealing with right now. Uh, congratulations, by the way. I don't think I've had an opportunity to talk to you since you became like senior journalist and historian. Basically, if you're a writer in, in Saskatchewan, rough writer, uh, senior journalist and historian is probably the best job available. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute uh, gas. I've, I've loved it. It's like... It's uh, like going to Disneyland, Disneyland every day, going to the office. So. How long did you cover? Because I read your stuff forever, uh, and I lived there when you wrote stuff. So how long is it, how long was it on the beat for the Rough Riders? Um, it's funny, you know, I was never actually on the Rough Rider beat per se in terms of you know uh, covering all the games home and away and and, and the day to day practice stuff. I I, I started at the Leader Post full-time in 1987. In 1996, I became the sports columnist. So I wrote about the Rough Riders as a columnist from from uh, late July of 1996 to until uh, mid-February of, of this year. And uh, But the, the day-to-day beat rider grind was something that I hadn't really done until I started with the Rough Riders and then, and then was at practice every day. I've never had a year quite like this one. It's been amazing. So I worked from uh, 84 to 86 and then 88 to 90. Uh, and th- that was still the big leader post building on 1922 Park Street. You would have worked there then. Yeah, that was uh, that was like a second home for me. No. It, still, it still feels weird to drive by it and not think that I'm employed there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the reason that you're here. I, I I have written a book in my life and I know it's a big undertaking, but I love Brave Face. I love the idea of it. And how? what was it like to write about some legendary names who played goal in hockey before masks? 
it was really cool because it was like scratching an itch that I'd had since the early 1970s. I was introduced to hockey by, as a seven-year-old, I was watching Hockey Night in Canada and the Boston Bruins were in their heyday then and, and Jerry Cheevers was in that. And I was intrigued by this goalie with stitches painted on his mask. And that's how that was my entry point to hockey, period. And so I became intrigued with goalies and then with hockey. And then I saw Gump Worsley play for the Minnesota North Stars without a mask. And I could not believe that nobody would wear a mask to play goal. And you know, I was just, it was just a fascination for me going back you know, more than 50 years now. So when the pandemic came and, and sports writers really became obsolete when there were no sports, um, our, our editors, the leader post encouraged us. They said, you know, if you got any bucket list type stories, um, now's the time to do them. So I decided to do a takeout on maskless goalies for uh, for the leader post just because I've always been curious about it. And uh, very quickly, that just became something that I thought I wanted to explore with a larger dimension. One of the early interviews interviewees was Glenn Hall. One of the early interviewees was, was Jerry Cheevers, and I was just absolutely addicted to it right away. And, and you know, th- th- that era... Um, you know, we, I remember Tony Esposito who wore a mask, who had all kinds of nervous ticks and things that, that he did, but a guy like Terry Sawchuk, who I do think his life was, was somewhat framed or, or, um, made more anxious because of the position he played. It's not an easy position. And a lot of these guys, you know, I, I remember there's a, 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 either a photo or a touched photo or a painting of Sawchuk where Every the assumption was every puck that hit him in the face there was a scar left and and I think you had a something something of a workup on the cover of this uh, these guys really did it wasn't just dangerous it was it was painful you know they were, they were goalies I talked to you know both famous and, and anonymous or virtually anonymous who told me I mean they just didn't even have an accurate stitch count uh, you know if you, if you got out of playing goal in that era for a long time and had maybe a hundred or two hundred stitches you're probably lucky. Uh, who knows what the peak stitch count was? One of the goalies I talked to figured he had at least 500. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so uh, it's just it, it still boggles the mind. As much as I dug into that story, I'm still just blown away that that anybody would would ever play goal ever without a mask. You know, you look back in baseball history, and, and catchers always had a had a mask on. And uh, um, you know how how is it that a that a goalie facing a vulcanized rubber uh, with all its bounces and twists and all the sticks and the sharp skate blades and everything very rarely wore a mask until November 1st, 1959. And, and plot took a lot of heat from his own, you know, management and coaching because of it. There was a, a sense of, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. How can he play goal with this thing? And plot, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is that they had been playing hockey from NHL hockey, from like 1927 until 59, which is like 32 years of of really, I mean, if you're a doctor watching in the stands, you're like, what's going on here? Like deadly. Um, and, and once Bobby Hall started lifting the puck with that ridiculous stick of his, it got really dangerous. Yeah, and that that sort of ushered in the change in, in a way because suddenly you have you have uh, the curved sticks and you have Bobby Hall with the velocity with which he shot the puck. You have you know, Bernie Jeffrey on, uh, later on, you had Dennis Hall. You had all these boomers. And, and uh, you know, Cesar Maniago, um, who spent the part of the best years of his career with the Minnesota North Stars, initially, uh, he was in Montreal's chain. He didn't, he wore a mask in the minors, and then he got called up to Montreal, and he didn't wear a mask because he thought that, you know, that was just the way it was 
done back then. He didn't want that to be a uh, an X beside his name. But then he goes to Minnesota when the, when the North Stars were formed, and he started wearing a mask, but only against Chicago because of the array of gutters that they had. And then gradually he started wearing a mask more often. Interesting. He who ultimately suggested and convinced Dump Worsley to wear a mask for a handful of games during his final season. Rob Vanstone, our guest, Rough Riders senior journalist and historian, writing or talking about brave face uh, goalies before masks, and there were lots of them. Was it Andy Brown who was the last guy who 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 did not wear a mask? Yeah, with the Indianapolis Racers in November of 1976, and uh, it, it, it's uh, it's uh, he was the last goalie in the NHL not to wear a mask, and with the Atlanta Flames the day before Hank Aaron hit his uh, home run to break Babe Ruth's record. And then he moved on to the World Hockey Association. And, uh, and uh, it was there that he was the last maskless goalie as, as well in, in pro hockey period. As far as being intentionally maskless, there were inadvertently maskless goaltenders. There were masks that were knocked off. Uh, there, Wayne Rutledge of the Houston Arrows mm. uh, played a relief stint in 1978, and he played this short stint toward the end of a game, which ended up going into overtime without a mask. And uh, so Wayne Rutledge was the last intentionally maskless goalie, albeit for a brief duration. It's for me, it's a, a, like, I do remember maskless goalies. Yeah. Um, you know, if you were a kid growing up in the '60s, you had you had you know Johnny Bauer. You had others that that didn't wear a mask. Uh, I know Sawchuk did later, right? Like when he was in L.A., he wore. I remember him wearing a mask then. Um, Even in Detroit, he eventually came around around 1962. Okay, but I mean that was you know a decade into his career already. Yeah. Um, did, when you talked to, to, I don't know how many goalies you talked to or whatever. Um, I'm sure to a man they were like, I don't know what we were thinking. Did anybody say no? I hated it and I never would have done it. Um, a lot of them. You know, said, uh, you know, if it was, if I was starting today, I would wear one. But back then, it just really wasn't much of a consideration. They, they, uh, they generally didn't like the mask very much. Even, you know, even, you know, Glenn Hall put one on begrudgingly toward the end of his career. Um, but I don't think he was ever too enamored with the concept, but he just thought it was the smart thing to do as he started to approach 40. I think. I don't think any of them really liked it if, if they if they were accustomed to not not wearing one. I mean, it was it was uh, it, it, uh, the ventilation wasn't great. These masks were pretty primitive. The, the the protection really wasn't that great, and they really didn't cover much of your face anyway. In a lot of cases, until that Jacques Plant mask came came around in the early seventies, it no. was more of a shell. No. Until then, I mean, look at the Ken Dryden Ken Dryden's first mask with the Montreal Canadiens. Really, how much protection did that? provide or the early Terry Sawchuk mask, the Lefty Wilson mask that so many goalies wore, that that uh, that pretzel mask that uh, was actually the second Jacques Plot mask. Uh, you know, I remember like Bernie Perrault wore that in Philly and Doug yes. Wilson wore that for Vancouver. There's virtually no protection there at all. Yeah. Um, one thing I know in reading hockey stories over the years is that, is that, that players do tend to get like, traditional and they get a little bit stubborn. I remember reading, uh, I think it was Dean Prentice talked about when the the hockey games were going to be broadcast on NBC, they started putting extra lights in 
Chicago Stadium and in Detroit at the Olympia, and the players were complaining about it. They were going to protest because they were mad that the 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 corners were better lit. And Prentice said he one time he was in, uh, I think Chicago, and he went into the corner and he went, "Oh my God, I can see this actually is better. This is better." And it it sometimes takes a while because, as you said, you know. Uh, it, people are people, and if you're familiar with something or it's comfortable for you, we don't like change. No, and I think there's also the element of fear. Um, uh, I think for, I think there was a bit of a stubbornness where goalies didn't want to be perceived as being afraid, so there was a fear factor there that people were af- they were afraid people might think they were afraid, if that makes any yeah. sense whatsoever. The other thing, too, is once upon a time, there's only six goaltending jobs in the National Hockey League. There were no backups until the yes. until the into the sixties and, and suddenly it was legislated around the mid sixties. But until then there were six jobs. And uh, there was, you know, Gump Worsley was the rookie of the year with the Rangers in the early fifties. The next year he spent the entire year with the Miners and Johnny Bauer got called up. And then Johnny Bauer got sent down sent down the next year and Gump Worsley was back. It was the job security was so fragile and the I think the coaches the, the general managers that they were largely so dictatorial that uh, I think there was a real fear of, of losing your job, uh, let alone your teeth. Rob Vanson, our guest. I can't let you go without asking about the Rough Riders. I know it was a disappointing season. Uh, injury obviously having a big impact there. Uh, changes underway for sure. Um, but I, I said this to an Elks fan the other day. If you were going to have a year where that was a down year, it, it really felt like the 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 four teams that would be alive are are were, were fait accompli early on. Uh, certainly in the West, we sort of knew the pecking order, right? It, it got a little interesting on Labor Day when the Riders beat Winnipeg thirty two thirty, and suddenly the Riders are are six and five, and you started to wonder if if they could uh, make some noise there. There was a a game in BC on the horizon, not that far, not that long after that, and. For a while, it looked like that might uh, play a huge role in determining second place in the West. But then, but then the Rough Riders just, uh, for, for reasons that still are mysterious, uh, just couldn't uh, couldn't get a win over the final seven games. And uh, you know, Craig Dickinson, uh, the head coach, said that in the uh, Labor Day rematch in Winnipeg, in the second uh, second weekend of September. Uh, went in there and, and had a real, real lopsided loss against Winnipeg, and it's, it's like it did something to the team's confidence, and it just never really was able to spin out of that game in Winnipeg. You know, only a, only a week after the, that victory over Winnipeg uh, had uh, really got people buzzing about what might be possible. Brave Face is the book. Thanks for writing. I'm definitely going to read it. This is a really interesting uh, uh, book, and I'm, I can't wait to dig into it. Thank you for joining us, Rob. Oh, thanks so much for your time. It's great great to chat and to hear your voice again. All right, sir. There's Rob Vanstone. Take care. Bye. Uh, Rough Riders senior journalist and historian stepping out about the hockey with uh, Brave Face and the uh, forward by Glenn Chico Resch. I, I know every name in there. I, well, maybe not the old-timey guys, but even then I probably have read them and forgotten about them. That was, that was quite the era. Everybody had their goalie and... My favorite goalies were, I loved Jerry Cheevers. Um, I respected Ken Dryden. I thought Bernie Perrant was fantastic. Um, Dunk Wilson in Vancouver was a real character. So was Gary Smith. But goalies were, Jill Malosh, I was an Oakland Seals fan, along with being a Bruins fan. And Jill Malosh was like a hero. If you were a Seals fan, he was the only reason that they won like 11 games a year. 
They were a dreadful team. There's a Vic Stasiak YouTube video where he's trying to talk to the team and get them going. And um, he says to Gilles Melange, this is live on tape, just in the in the in the dressing room between periods. He goes, you know, it's okay if you you know hack and whack a guy, you just slam him, you know, just get him right in the ankle. If you break an ankle, well, that's the you know they're too close to you anyway. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, if that ever got on tape now, there'd be more hell than a little bit. Anyway, Rob Vanstone's book is Brave Face. If you uh, love hockey, old-timey style, and want to read about the great goaltenders of the era where masks were not verboten, but they were not encouraged, that's the book you want to read. All right, some NHL rumors on the way. Bruce McCurdy in hour number two. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. Alan Mitchell, Declan Kruger. We're brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick, 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Lots of rumors today. It's the rumors segment now. Jeff Merrick today talking about Evan Bouchard for Carter Hart. Wow. Wow. I would not make that deal. I'll tell you why. Bouchard's got a like a big future. And Carter Hart does too, but he's been inconsistent. And... That's a risk. Now, if you're all in on this year, and I think Ken Holland is, then maybe, maybe you talk about it. But I would say that I would, uh, I would pass on the opportunity. If I was in the room, that's what I'd say. I think Michael Parcati would say that. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Jonathan Huberdo is uh, he's having a tough time in Calgary. Uh, they won last night, but he was benched for the entire third period. Obviously, took it you know badly, and. You know, um, the fit was not right. They, I, I think the the organization was at a point where they had to do something, and they got some famous people and then signed them. And he wasn't the only one, but he's the one who stands out now. And Calgary's they're they're in a tough spot, very similar to the Oilers, and they have some long term contracts that could be difficult to deal with, as do the Oilers. So, the Alberta teams have have done some things to themselves in the contract department and the trade department. The Athletics' Pierre Lebrun has talked about the Oilers interested in moving their 2024 first-round pick if it means getting their season back on track. TSN's Darren Dreger added that Edmonton could be looking for a blockbuster deal that would allow them to address multiple needs at once, a deal that would almost certainly require a high-value draft pick. So what that might look like, I, I mean, what I, what I would think it would look like, and this is just me blue skying, is you offload the first pick, Jack Campbell, and something else of real value because you're, Jack Campbell is a drag on any deal, right? So the, the, the players who have, don't, don't have no movement clauses are guys like Warren Fogle, Ryan McLeod, Dylan Holloway, um, obviously Raphael Lavoie, Evan Bouchard, CC Kulak, Skinner, and then uh, obviously the first round pick and any prospects, you know, Xavier Burgo or whatever. But I don't know the, how much that would move the needle in a in a big trade like that. And they would looking the owners would be looking for goaltending and like Calgary would be a good fit because Calgary has defensemen that they might want to deal, and Vladar might be a guy they they would move if they're if they're out of it. But they're ahead of Edmonton in the standing right now. But if you could get Vladar and one of their defensemen, well, you know, that's interesting. 
And what would that look like? I have literally no idea, but let's let's do the numbers at least. You get Valaris Valaris two point two million, and let's say you get Chris Tanov. So that's six point seven million that's heading out. So you'd need to include Jack Campbell and something else, and then the pick. That's six point seven. You you'd be dealing with, God, I don't know. Campbell's five. I mean, I don't know if you want to deal Kulak. Maybe, maybe they retain. I don't know. But the first round pick would have to go. I, I don't think the owners are there yet. And also, I I don't know about the wisdom of trading the first round pick because if this can, I guess you could lottery protect it, but it's not that easy to do and. You know, the Oilers have a lot of problems, and one of them is they're not scoring goals either. We'll talk to McCurdy about it coming up at the top of the hour. McCurdy wants to talk about the goaltending book, too, by Rob Vanstone. All these old goalies, they just wait for talk of goaltenders, and then they jump right in. It's a it's a position of um, camaraderie, I believe, if that's the word. Brotherhood, maybe, is a better word. Saw the Smalls play at the Elks Hotel in Lloydminster when I was 16. Changed my trajectory forever. Don't know if it was for the better, haha, but it was a memorable show. Trade Drysaddle for Kachuk straight up. Drysaddle can join Stutzla, fellow German. Trade Bouchard for Hart, then trade for Barry. Aki will eventually take over the power play. Well, that's a lot going on there. LT, at least Ryan Huska holds his players accountable. A good lesson to Huberdo. That no longer is above accountability. Maybe Woodcroft could learn a thing or two from him, Aaron, and Hannah. Aaron, who is he going to replace him with? They don't have any roster players. Everybody who's on the roster skates. The idea that Woodcroft can bench somebody, good luck. Is Vladar any good? Yes. What team is struggling right now that has anything to offer that would be a blockbuster? We'd have to get rid of Nurse and Campbell. I don't see any, any logic in getting rid of Darnell Nurse. LT, I feel if Bouchard hasn't shown urgency and work ethic by now, he won't ever. Way too casual. I'd deal him for the right player. What are your thoughts? I would not. And I I go back to what a player looks like on the ice. I know it's aggravating that he looks, you know, dormant. He looks fatigued. He looks tired. He looks sleepy. But you can't help how you look. I have... 400 pictures of myself in the house. I, half of them I look like I'm in a coma, and the other half look like I have just done very bad things. You know, that's the way I look. And Bouchard looks too relaxed. He looks like grandpa. But that doesn't mean he is grandpa. But he's playing poorly. We've seen it before with young players who are offensive on the defensive side. Tom Pody, Justin Schultz, Paul Coffey, for crying out loud. So... The bottom line here is that that I am loath to trade young players when they're struggling. It's a bad idea. And I think Bouchard is going to be a great player in the National Hockey League. Now, he needs he needs a really strong partner. We know that. And Ekholm was that this year and hopefully will be that later on in the year. I wouldn't I wouldn't move him. Well, Ty, you say Hart has been inconsistent. What's Bouchard been the pillar of consistency? He's been brutal. Sure, I wouldn't do it. Sorry, did you answer this? I stepped away for a while. 
Could we trade for Vlasic? Solid stay-at-home D Olympian. He must have some game line. He is expensive and very old. I don't know how you would make that deal. Bouchard is overrated defensive play. I don't think we'll ever get a top-pairing caliber. Nurse can QBR power play, no problem. LT, do you have any faith in this GM to make this better? It's time for the old man to be walked out of the building. Well, I... How do I feel about that? I think Ken Holland went through the summer tinkering because he thought he was close, and it has not worked out. And there's not a lot left, quite frankly. He's traded a bunch and spent a lot of money for a long time to get here. So I I, I honestly, I don't think, I, I mean, I think Paul Coffey and Jeff Jackson are, are either helping to control or controlling things now. We'll see. But I would wait. Holland's contract is done at the end of the year. You might be looking at, a, look, if Leon Dreisaitl doesn't sign this summer or give an indication that he will, then the orders are going to have to make some decisions in a quick hurry, and that starts with Daryl Cates. I mean, I don't want to be the person who writes the media release. The Edmonton orders have traded Leon Dreisaitl to dot, dot, dot. The New York Rangers for dot, dot, dot. It doesn't go. I put a fist through a wall when they traded Mark Messier, and I'm, I think I'm pretty normal compared to uh, many fans. It won't go well, but this losing streak brings a lot of things into play. And if you go to Leon Dreisaitl next summer and say, yeah, we're going to win the Stanley, and he goes, well, or the agent says, well, you know, uh, I think we're going to see what's out there for us. We'll see how this year goes. You have to protect an asset if you're the Edmonton Oilers. This isn't fun. I don't like bringing it up, but it's true. LT, I don't think Darnell Nurse is our biggest problem, but the fact is he's a number one defenseman and he isn't a game changer. That is a problem. I don't think we can win a cup with Nurse eating top minutes on the team from the Nige. Do you think, you know, the the problem with trading him, I mean, they could trade him, but he has to agree to it, right? He's got a no-movement clause till I think, 2027. Any way to work Hellebuck? That's what I thought. I, I thought Hellebuck would be in New Jersey by now. But Winnipeg, you know, they're, they've got their own story to write. LT, did someone just suggest trading for Marc-Andre Vlasic? The guy's obviously a Flames fan trolling us, Craig and Red Deer. Campbell for Samsonov. Who says no? Well, I don't think that deal happens. Ekholm on right defense would go a long way to helping the orders. Even a long way with, uh, even with a little below average goaltending from Ronnie. Scrivens, Faust, Brassois, Talbot, Koskinen, Smith, Skinner. How many outperformed or even matched their potential? Now, please go ahead and defend Schwartz as a jo- how he has a job. Yes, we need a new goalie, but I wouldn't dare let him be coached for one day under Schwartz. Let's see here. Uh, Cam Talbot won them a series and almost a second one in 2017. 
Koskinen actually put up pretty good numbers. Mike Smith did for sure. And Stuart Skinner was a finalist for the Calder Trophy. You know, a lot of people are calling for Dustin Schwartz to be fired because of Stuart Skinner's play this year. And a lot of those people ordinarily will argue that regression is a big part of the game and that you can't trust recent events as being absolutely facto, de facto, because there's there's a little sway in the numbers. There's a little sway in the results. But somehow, when it comes to the Dustin Sports, that all gets washed away, and all anybody wants to talk about is how he's ruined people. And I, I don't buy it. I don't think goaltenders become not responsible for their own uh, ability to play the game just because they have a goalie coach named Dustin Schwartz. It feels like a witch hunt. And so I'm not joining you, and I'm not going to take part in it because I, I, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Stuart Skinner's going to go some other place, and he's going to play really well. And I'm going to say, see, it wasn't Dustin Schwartz. And you're going to say, see, it was Dustin Schwartz, and we're going to argue about nothing because we just don't no. Okay. You know who does know is Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. And he's our guest next. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. This is a Sports 1440 update. And for your Sports 1440 update, Edmonton Oilers goaltender Jack Campbell has cleared waivers and is expected to be assigned to the AHL's Bakersfield Condors. Just three games in the league tonight. Sens are in Toronto, Panthers in Washington, and the Kings are in Vegas. Oilers practice today. The forward lines were as follows. It was McLeod, McDavid, and Hyman on the first line. Holloway, Holloway Dreisaitl, and Fogel on the second. Kane, Nugent, Gagne on the third. And Lavoie, Hamlin, and Ryan on the fourth as the Oilers went 12-6 and six today. NHL news is both Brendan Gallagher and Michael Pozzetta were seen wearing neck guards at Canadians practice today, both saying, quote, it's only a matter of time before it becomes part of the NHL, and they wanted to get ahead of it. Minnesota Wild are trading defenseman Kalen Addison to the San Jose Sharks for winger Adam Araska and a fifth-round pick in 2026. And in NFL news, the New York Giants will start undrafted rookie quarterback Tommy DeVito on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. DeVito will start over recently signed veteran Matt, Matt Barkley after Daniel Jones tore the ACL in his right knee on Sunday. Backup Tyrod Taylor already on the IR with an injured ribcage. Free agent third baseman Matt Chapman met with several teams at the GM meetings this week, including the Toronto Blue Jays. Chapman has spent the past two seasons with the Jays, who have reportedly made re-signing the two-time Platinum Glove winner a priority. 14 games in the NBA tonight, including the Raptors, who are in Dallas to take on the Mavericks. Tip-off for that one is 6.30. And four games in the AJHL tonight, including the Sherwood Park Crusaders at home, hosting the Olds Grizzly. Puck drop for that one, 7 p.m. I'm Declan Kruger. This has been your Sports 1440 Update.